0: good morning and welcome to Portage Faith United Methodist Church and um, happy birthday baby Jesus and we welcome you onto this earth as you come to be the light of our our world. Uh, For announcements, we don't have a lot of announcements but I do have a lot of birthdays and an anniversary so I'd like to uh, shout out to Diane Graham. Merry birthday to you Diane. And Virginia Goodell, I think we've been talking and we believe that this will be number 98. And we want to wish you a very, very, merry happy birthday <laughs> to you. Um, for David Scott, happy birthday in January coming up. And for Jerry Tipton, he has a birthday also. We, we would like to uh, wish you happy birthday. And Hank and Sue Hoover, a happy anniversary coming soon to you so many many happy returns of the day to you all.
1: Our Light of Christ reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Please join me now in our opening prayer. Light of the world, shine in our lives this day as we gather to worship you today, give us the eyes of Simeon and the faith of Anna that we may see the promise of our salvation. As we come before you with hope and expectation, give us the spirit of your son that we too may grow in strength and increase in wisdom. In your holy name we pray. Um.
2: And now join us for the singing of our opening hymn this morning, which is uh, number 234, O Come All Ye Faithful, and we'll be singing verses 1 to 3. an affirmation of faith so today we'll be saying the Nicene Creed the first of our Christian creeds. we believe in one God the Father the Almighty maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ the only Son of God eternally begotten of the Father God from God who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now if you'll join me for the Gloria Patri. Oh, mm-hmm. baby mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that as we think about all of the things in our world that need prayer, that we um, pay special attention today to the people of Nashville and the the explosion that happened in downtown Nashville. Um, It's kind of a tragic thing to happen so close to Christmas, so keep those people in your hearts, and as we pray, have them with you. Lord, a bright abiding light you have shown us in the person of Jesus your son a new way to live you have poured your light into the world and have asked us to live in the light rather than run and hide in the darkness of doubt and despair you promise to be our light all of our days and ask us to place our trust in you the journey in this light is risky It means that we will have to be very serious, Lord, about our service to you, giving you our best and offering hope and light to others. In this new year, we bring to you the names and situations of others for whom light seems to be a stranger. They struggle with ill health, economic hardship, broken and damaged relationships loss of loved ones and anxiety we place them in your care let your light shine on them bringing healing and hope help us to be bearers of that light in all that we do for we ask this in jesus name amen and now let us pray the prayer that jesus taught his disciples to pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name And now, if you'll sing with me our next hymn, it is uh, from the hymnal number 229 Infant Holy, Infant Lowly.
1: reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2 verses 22 through 40. When the time of the purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people in Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Benyohi of the tribe of Azur. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Debbie.
2: That was a long one today. Good job. If you'll bow your heads with me, please. As you led Simeon and Anna to embrace the infant Jesus, guide us, Holy Spirit, by your gracious light that we may welcome your saving word. So I just wanted to let you know, since you can't see it, if you're watching or listening, the title of uh, today's message is The Glory of God in Everyday Life. So I wanna welcome you all on this first Sunday after Christmas. Strange though this year has been, I hope you were able to, despite our current limitations, to find some hope and peace, joy and love in your celebration of Jesus' holy birthday we did receive the gift of a beautiful white christmas lovely to look upon and just harsh enough to mostly keep us indoors so i hope that the time either with loved ones or with your own thoughts was restful to your spirits it was for mine sometimes Having to do things a little bit differently, including the disruptions to our usual traditions and ways of celebration, can rekindle our appreciation for them. Not being with extended friends and family can make us realize that we can never take the blessings in our lives for granted. I sorely missed seeing my parents, brother and sisters, nieces, nephews, and dear friends Yet I held those people close to me, were dear to me, in my heart. And I love them all the more for their absence in Christmas travels and at the Christmas table. I missed also being physically with each and every one of you as well. Though I am always with you in spirit, I have prayed for each of you and am wishing all the best in the new year to come. I know that many of you are facing hardships, health concerns, and other difficulties during this time, and I hold each of you in my heart and in prayer. If there's anything specific that I can pray for for you, please keep me informed. And know that I'm always available for a phone call or even a visit in the church if you feel up for that we have to mask and we have to sit at a you know good social distance but at least we'd be face to face i welcome any requests for time to talk or to pray with you please let me know if you need me i'm here just call email or text and we can make a plan to get together somehow a couple of you have taken me up on it and i encourage more of you to do so It is as much a blessing for me as it might be for you. Now more than ever, we need each other for support and friendship. But if you don't tell me, I don't know. So just call me, I'm here. In our scripture lesson today, we hear the story of Mary and Joseph bringing the baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. Um, And they're going there to fulfill the ritual obligations surrounding the birth of their firstborn son. And as we've previously learned, rituals are very important to the Jewish people for several reasons. And the first is that the rituals marked individuals, and still in the Jewish culture, mark individuals as being part of God's covenant community. In fact, community life for Jews throughout the pre-Christian period is marked by the observation of rituals prescribed by ancient law, traditionally believed to be given to the people through the prophet and God's servant, Moses. Following the seasonal festivals and purity rituals gave the Jewish people a sense of control over their lives and set them apart as God's chosen. How they lived was a reflection of the covenant they shared with God our God as well ritual also brought order to life during times where crisis threatened to tear the fabric of the community apart we can understand that in our own day the Hebrew people have remained united as a group because of their sense of community though threatened at many points in history it has never been completely broken Ritual has kept the Jewish identity alive, even as very powerful entities tried repeatedly to destroy it. And lastly, though I'm sure that other reasons could be listed, ritual helps to remind people what is important in the eyes of God, and therefore what ought to be important in the lives of individuals and their communities. Ritual allows us to find our way closer to God. It allows us to stand for a moment in God's very presence while God's reflected glory becomes ours even if only for that moment. God's reflected glory sustains us and gives us the strength to go on in both good times and especially in difficult ones. These are the good aspects of ritual that help us to maintain our connections with God and with one another in community. There is another aspect to ritual, though, that I want to mention that can be good, but can also cause us to fall into complacency if we're not careful. Ritual can lose its meaning for us if it becomes rote. If we keep the rituals of family and church just because that is what we've always done, but we forget the meaning behind the actions we take. When this happens, the rituals become empty and they lose their power to unite or inspire us. They just become new idols in and of themselves. So let me name just one example because it's a ritual with which most churchgoers are familiar each week in our church service, we follow our time of pastoral or corporate prayer by praying the Lord's Prayer together. This is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And it serves as a pattern to show the disciples how to pray to the Lord. So we open the prayer addressing and glorifying God by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means holy, sanctified, or venerated. In this opening line, we are celebrating God's holiness. In the second line we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here we are subordinating ourselves to God's will and asking for God's will to reign supreme in our lives. Next we say, give us this day our daily bread. In this line we are petitioning God for the things we need from him. We are told by Jesus to ask God for those things we need or need help with. And in the rest of that line we say, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are asking God to forgive us for the things we have done wrong just as we will forgive those things others have done wrong toward us. And finally, we end the body of the prayer by requesting and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ask God to guide us in the right path rather than allowing us to wander down the wrong one. The final line of our prayer was added by the early church but again is acknowledging God's glory and power to answer our prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This prayer, Jesus intended as a pattern by which we pray to God. That's its purpose. It is a similar pattern to one that you may have learned at some point in Sunday school. Um, And it's known as facts, F-A-C-T-S, sometimes just A-C-T-S-X. And in this pattern, F equals faith in God. We know and we trust God in the way we address him, highlighting his authority. A equals adoration. We praise God for who he is. C equals confession. This is expressing sorrow and remorse for things we have done against the will of God. T equals thanksgiving. We recognize God's gifts in our lives and thank him for past kindness, current provision, and future blessings. And S stands for supplication. This is asking God through his wisdom and power for the things we need or need help with, the problems we are having we can also bring forward this timely needs of others. Do you realize when you pray the Lord's Prayer that this is basically what you are modeling before God? I think most Christians have learned this at some point or have intuitive, intuitively understood its meaning. And we recite this prayer every week to remind ourselves of the proper way to pray to and to address our glorious Lord. It is practical Christian knowledge given by Jesus himself. Yet we say this prayer so often. I wonder if we sometimes fail to remember its profound meaning and message. It just becomes another thing we always say. We miss the Lord's Prayer when it is absent from a worship service or when it is moved from its usual position in the worship order. However, I suspect there are some who would miss it not for its content, but because it is just the magic words we always say in church. No prayer is magic. No words are magic. Only heartfelt communication between ourselves, one another, and God has any value to our relationship with our Lord and Savior. We have many thousands at this point of litanies and liturgy prayers songs and creeds in our christian catalog of worship material options but they are only beneficial to us if we can proceed past the familiar words themselves to the meaning and significance that lie behind the words so looking again at our scripture lesson we see joseph and mary bringing the baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem in order to present the newborn to the Lord and to fulfill the redemption ritual surrounding the birth of a firstborn son. And the purification ritual, of course, for new mothers that were part of Jewish law. This temple visit probably took place approximately 40 days after Jesus' birth because a new mother was considered unclean for the first seven days after birth after the birth of a boy and and then was considered under the process of purification at home for the next 33 days. It was twice as long if your baby was a girl. So on the 40th day after the birth an offering was to be made by the mother in order to be declared purified and fit to return fully to the community. The price for this purification was the sacrifice of a perfect lamb or if the mother could not afford a lamb, two turtle doves, or pigeons. Jesus would have been circumcised and named on the eighth day after birth, but there was an old tradition that firstborn sons also had to be redeemed from God for five silver shekels or pledged to the Lord's service if they were Levites. Luke rather combines these two rituals into one in his telling of this part of the story and he focuses mostly on Mary's purification. This may be because he was not either completely familiar with the rules of the rituals as a Hellenistic believer or it may be because he was implying Jesus continuing service to God even though he was not from Levi's line. We're not sure. But regardless, it is obvious that Luke wants to show that the parents' observation of the Jewish rituals <clears throat> excuse me, was important to them and to Jesus' future life, marked as a devout Jew. And, and here's an important part, as an integral part of the Jewish community, of followers of the one God. So probably these rituals, well known to Mary and Joseph, were important to them because they had internalized the meaning of following the law of Moses. These were everyday family rites required to be part of the community that might have been exercised as just another experience in a long line of routine observances by a devout Jewish family. There was nothing exceptional, is what I'm saying, about these rites that they went to the temple. To perform. But as it turned out, God showed up in a a perplexing and amazing way in these everyday rituals in a way that was far from usual. The prophetic and elderly Simeon and Anna were drawn to the temple on that particular day to witness, to be witness to the special nature. Of this particular baby boy Simeon had been praying and waiting his whole life for the arrival of the Messiah and had asked God that his life not come to an end until he had seen the Messiah with his own eyes so the Holy Spirit alerted Simon Simeon excuse me to the arrival of Jesus and his family at the Jerusalem Temple on that day at that time and he was able to witness the arrival of the Messiah with his own eyes. He was able to hold the baby Jesus and look into those holy eyes. And as he held Jesus in his arms, the old man proclaimed his thanks to God saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon's life work was now finished because he had finally been witness to God's glory arriving in this little bundle of baby. But then he shared a last prophecy with Jesus' mother Mary that foreshadowed the pain both she and Jesus would one day face. despite this day of joy. This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I'm sure that Mary wondered at the meaning of Simeon's warning. Can you imagine the amazement though of Mary and Joseph at this chance meeting, chance meeting with Simeon in the temple? Surely this encounter increased the sense of God's presence for the little family. And God was not yet finished coming close on this day. Imagine the scene as the priest is standing there preparing to sacrifice the pair of turtle doves that Mary has brought for her final purification. Notice also, how the turtle doves emphasize the humble means of Jesus' family. Along comes another temple regular, Anna, an elderly prophetess who was widowed as a young woman, never remarried, and who has dedicated herself to serving the temple. She shows up. She too recognizes Jesus as the awaited Messiah and begins to proclaim his identity to those who would hear her, confirming everything that Simeon had already said. Only through God's intervention would both of these pious and important people have arrived at just the right moment for this ordinary, everyday ritual observance. By making himself known through Simeon and Anna, God has come close to the Holy Family. So what are we to make of this story? How does it relate to the Christian life today? I suppose there are many ways, but I want to highlight one in particular. Unlike for the Holy Family and other observant Jews of their day, Christians over time have lost the sense that God is present in the everyday moments of our lives. As other obligations of modern life have replaced community and church traditions, Christians have increasingly learned to separate and compartmentalize portions of their lives. I often say that modern Christians believe that they have two lives, a sacred life and a secular life. And the two lives are largely independent of one another. The secular life is what goes on for us on a daily basis consumes the majority of our time. Meanwhile, the sacred life is relegated to those times that we either find ourselves physically in church, sometimes only on Christmas and Easter, and in the vestiges of rituals that touch upon the holy, like weddings and funerals, baptisms, and other rites of passage. Of course, I believe these two lives are an illusion. We only have one life, and it is our sacred one. If we read scripture closely and honestly, we will find that our whole lives are to be lived as an act of worship to God. Christians today have difficulty, though, believing this, I think because we have the idea that worship is only concerned with religious ritual, liturgy, prayer, and other matters that are overtly considered religious and, therefore, serious. The Jews of Jesus' day had a different understanding about worship. They understood that all we do in love toward God, ourselves, and others is worshiping God. Living righteously is living in an attitude of worship. It doesn't mean we cannot enjoy life or have fun or even mess up sometimes. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that as we go through life, we strive to be the best people we can can be. By making love our abiding principle. By being humble and by upholding God's justice. Walk humbly and do justice. The Word put on flesh to live among us in order to show us how to do this. Jesus is our example, God with us. And we have an advantage that the chosen people before Jesus' birth never had. Because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, we are not only already redeemed, but we can be indwelled with the Holy Spirit just By professing our faith in Jesus as our Savior God can be not only with us but in us all the time Hmm. think about that let me say that again whether we recognize it or not if we are Christians God is in us and with us all the time there is never a moment In our lives when Jesus cannot see us and know what we do. Jesus is with us when we experience road rage on the way to work. He is with us when we shout at our kids because we had a bad day. He is with us when we disparage our parents and friends for not behaving as we think they should. We cannot hide from Jesus, though we try, including me. We cannot escape into secular mode, and avoid God. Of course, Jesus is also hitching a ride when we head out to volunteer at a food pantry, when we drop our last $10 bill in the Salvation Army kettle, and when we help a kid who's fallen and scraped her knee on the sidewalk. And yeah, even when we are sitting in a worship service at church. God can show up for us during the most mundane, Of earthly moments if we remain aware of our Creator's constant and vigilant presence. Sometimes, like in today's scripture, God sends other people to remind us because our sight is often stronger than our faith. But ultimately, it is up to us to listen for the Spirit's guiding hand. The nudges that are so strong and seem contrary to the logical course of action we're likely to ignore, may be God's still small voice nudging us to action. Being aware of God is like exercising a muscle. It really is. Our ability to discern God's voice can be improved over time with practice. It can also, unfortunately, be left a vestigial ability like our appendix seldom used, and almost always relegated to the background of our lives. People ask me why God is not more clear about what he wants from us. Why doesn't he just make sure we hear him? He can do anything, right? Why does he just make sure we hear him? Why doesn't God make us respond to him? Now, I'm not privy to the mind of God, so I can't know the answer for certain. However, I believe it has to do with God's nature. God is love. Love is an action that is never selfish. Love requires free will because love cannot be forced. God wants us to love him freely, without reservation. The same way that God loves us and we must come to him because we have learned the way of love that way is not about the self which is our unfortunately our human preoccupation a lot of the time anyway and as humans we we understand force we have a harder time understanding what to do when the best course of action is against our nature. But love is the part of us made in God's image. We must find that part of ourselves because we have searched for it, because we have worked for it, because we have chosen it. It cannot be coerced because if it is, it is not love at all. Now, this doesn't mean that God never speaks to us with clarity. There are times that God does speak with clarity, even force. I've experienced it myself. However, I believe God usually speaks this way to people with with whom he knows they already have the ability to hear him. Hmm. Think about that. He speaks this way to people whom he already knows can hear. I believe he speaks with force only when to be soft would risk potential damage if the message were missed or delayed. Remember, I've mentioned this before, God is not bound by time or space. We can afford; He can afford to wait. God can definitely afford to wait. For us to learn to choose him and his way. Getting good at it on our part is a lifetime process. Anxiety is not God's game, it is ours. The more we trust God, the more God will reveal to us. It just seems to be the way it works. So we can turn our backs on God and prefer not to listen, Or we can try to listen and do what we have discerned God is asking us. And we aren't always gonna get that right, especially in the beginning. But one is easier in the short run, but has dire consequences to our lives. The other way is difficult, but improves life not only for us, but for those around us as well. God is in no hurry. Jesus is still waiting for us to complete the work he assigned to us at his ascension. There is still so much for us to do as we look around at broken relationships, governments, and systems in this world. As Christians, we have something to share with the world that can change everything and has been changing everything for millennia. We can get caught up in the despair we see around us, or we can get busy doing something about it. Elaine Brown Crawford writes of our Advent journey so easy to get stuck in the holler of life, the pain, the struggles that we don't have or can't afford to do, rather than to focus on the hope provided to us in the birth of Jesus Christ our advent hope is based on the knowledge that our joy comes from god leaving heaven giving up the crown of glory to come to earth when god asked who will go for us god decided to take on flesh come in person and dwell among humanity to light the way for us we have already glimpsed that light of hope peace joy and love It's time to share it because Emmanuel has come. God, with us. Let us pray. Ever faithful God, the miracles of Christmas bless us throughout our lives. Bless us with the faith of Simeon and the hope of Anna that we may see signs of your promised salvation surrounding us every day. Amen. Now if you'll join me for hymn number 250, verses 1, 2, and 4, this is Once in Royal David City. Joseph brought Jesus to the temple in thanksgiving and praise. In honor of that ancient tradition, we come this day to dedicate our lives and these, our humble gifts, to God in thanksgiving and praise. We appreciate the way you continue to offer your tithes, offerings, and gifts to the Lord. Remember that you may continue to drop them in the mail, deliver them to the church during morning office hours, or use our convenient online giving option. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, thank you for the gifts of Christmas that bless us throughout the year. As we offer you our offering in gratitude and praise, we dedicate our labor, our industry, and our very lives to the building of your kingdom. May our gifts go forth to a world in need as signs of your redemption and your hope. May we shine with your glory that others may discover your saving love. In Christ's name we pray. response directly following the benediction which is from the faith we sing number 2160 into my heart so as you leave today go into God's world bearing the light of hope and peace bring the good news of the love of God through Jesus Christ to all the people go in peace